Good morning. Wow, it's good to see a full house here this morning. Why don't we start by singing together hymn number 14. Oh, come loud anthems, let us sing. Number 14. Yeah, why don't we stand to sing? Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7 tells us this. Come, let us bow down and worship him. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Good morning, and we want to welcome you to our Sunday morning worship service here at Winkler Burktoller Mennonite Church where we gather to worship and praise the Lord, our God. If you're attending guest, we pray that you will feel welcome and part of our church. To our regular faithful attenders, we pray that you will receive a special blessing as you continue to 
serve others, and worship the Lord from a pure heart. Your attendance and ministry here at the church are deeply appreciated. Perhaps you're listening online or watching the service on television, which has been previously recorded. We pray that our services will be a blessing to you. If you are within driving distance, we encourage you to come to our Sunday morning worship service and because we would like to meet you and get to know you. We are continually thankful for the many people who faithfully use their gifts and talents here at the church. This morning, Irene Cron is on piano. Eileen Enbreck is bringing the children's story. Esther Ann Clausen is reading the scripture. And Pastor Victor is leading the worship service and song and bringing the morning message. Special thanks to Melissa Rudy on sound, Stephanie Beattie on the computer, and Peter Fraze on video. Of all those who serve in the church, only a few people are up on stage. Yet throughout the year, many others also give their time, talents, and gifts to the Lord. Thank you to the personnel committee, Ron Penner, Esther Dick, Chris Dirksen, and Murray Dirksen, for looking after the needs of our pastoral staff and others. Psalm 86 verses 8 through 12 is a prayer that King David prayed. This is what he says in that prayer. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth and give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I praise you, O Lord, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the day that you have given us, a day of rest, a day of worship, a day where we can enter your house with thanksgiving and praise upon our lips. We pray, Father, that as we go into the service today, that your spirit would accompany each of our hearts. Lord, that as we sing your praises and exalt you, that we will also be built up in you because you are our God and we are the people of your pasture. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to everyone's heart this morning as they worship, as they listen to the scriptures, as they um, listen to the message that is given. We pray, Father, that once again, that we would take your word and we would apply it to our hearts. Now, Lord, we pray, go with us into the rest of the service. May you be lifted up and glorified. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. Please turn in your hymn books to number 247. I have to admit, I, I, I don't remember singing this song very often growing up, but it's got some really good words, and the tune is familiar, so uh, let's see what we can learn from this hymn.
song with deep words and much meaning. Let's turn to number 16. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Today I have some helpers. I'm very thankful. It's Emma. She's going to hold, hold the pictures for me. This is Sadie. And that's Lucy. So she may be wild up there, I'm not sure. <laughs> Today's story is about, uh, is called Little Boat Twice Owned. So, Emma's got the pictures that go with it. Anybody else want us to come closer to see the pictures? You're very welcome. Well, there once was a young boy named Bruce. He loved the sea, and he loved boats. One of his most favorite things was to spend a day at the harbor watching the boats sail in and out. He lived with his mom and dad in a town along the shore of a very big lake. And one thing he wished for was to have a little boat, all his own, to sail on the water. 
One day his dad said, Bruce, why don't you make your own boat? I'll buy all the things you need to make it and you can work in my shop. Well, Bruce was very excited about this and he began to work on it right away. It wasn't long after that that he showed his dad his finished boat. Not yet. A boat that he had designed and made all by himself. I think he liked this boat more than he could have liked any other boat because he had made it all by himself. He had taken such care and love in making this boat. It was very special to him. He painted it red and blue and it had bright white sails. It wasn't a boat large enough to carry people, but he attached a long cord to it so that he could sail it on the lake without losing it. Okay. One beautiful day, Bruce went down to the lake with his boat and he jumped in the water having a great time swimming and watching his boat gliding on the waves, keeping hold of the cord so that it wouldn't get lost. In the middle of all this, he heard the siren of a fire truck. Clang, clang, clang. He quickly tied up his boat and ran to see where the fire was. Wow, it was a very big fire. A whole city block was ablaze. Bruce stuck around with lots of other people watching the firefighters fight the blaze. It was a long, hard battle. After a while, he remembered his boat, and he ran as fast as he could back to the lake to get it. But, oh no, he couldn't find his boat. He ran up and down the shore, but there was no sign of it anywhere. He was very sad. Well, his dad suggested he could buy him a new boat. But Bruce said, no, that would not be the same at all. It wouldn't be the one that I made. Well, days went by and weeks went by, and then a very strange thing happened. He was walking down the street with his dad, when Bruce saw a little boat in the store window. Oh, Dad, that's my boat, he cried excitedly. Are you sure, his dad asked. Oh, yes, I'm sure, he said. It's red and blue, just like I painted it. And there's the mark on the front. But Bruce, there's a price on this boat. It's for sale, his dad said. Well, they went into the store, and to his dad's great surprise, Bruce said to the storekeeper, this is not your boat. Well, Bruce's dad explained to the very puzzled storekeeper the story of Bruce's boat. But the storekeeper said that he bought this boat from a fisherman the very night of the big fire. So turning to Bruce, the man said, well, young man, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you have the boat for the same price that I paid the fisherman. Would that be all right with you? 
Bruce's face gave the answer, yes. So with his very own money, he bought the little boat, the little boat that he himself had made. Bruce was very happy as he took that little boat in his arms. As he left the store, his dad heard him say, Little boat, you really are mine twice. You are mine because I made you, and you are mine because I bought you. The end of that story, and of course, what do we think that story is about? Who created us? Who created us? God. God created us. Not only did he create us and love us, when we sinned, that's like getting lost from God. We got separated from God when we sinned. And so, then when he died on the cross, it's like he bought us back. He paid the price for our sin. And so if we believe in Jesus, if we turn away from our sin, and if we invite him to be part of our life, God finds us, and he loves us and cares for us and all good things. So these girls were going to help me sing a song. Come on this side, honey. Come on this side with Emma. They're going to sing a song. It's a verse, Bible verse that we all know. John 3.16. Okay, I'm going to hold the mic and you girls sing. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall never die but have eternal life. Excellent. And there's another song called uh, I am not my own, and the words go like this. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All my debts are paid by his sacrifice. Hallelujah to the Lamb who redeems my life. So, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the price, to buy us back, uh, and to forgive all our sin. I pray that if there's anybody who doesn't understand this, they will come to a better knowledge of it and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we can have eternal life with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eileen, for that children's story, how powerful it is. The little boy who said, I first made you and then I bought you back. You're twice mine. And truly, when we come to God, we are twice God's possession. Once because he has made us and second because he paid the ultimate price by giving us his son. Take your bulletins with me and turn to um, the second page. Next Sunday, February 19th, worship service at 9.30, 10.45, the men's Sunday school in the prayer room, 10.45, the women's Sunday school in the meeting room, and then 10.45, the special Sunday school 
uh, needs um, room 127. This week at the Winkler Burke Taller Church, on Monday, 7.30 p.m., we have finance committee meeting. On Tuesday, the women's prayer meeting. And then on Wednesday, uh, men's prayer time. 2 p.m., the uh, study or Bible study on Hebrews and in the meeting room. Of course, um, George Elias is, has started leading that. And um, we encourage you to come. I've heard good reports. So um, we want to be praying for him and the whole group as they study the book of Hebrews together. Then at 7 p.m. is the missionary, uh, pardon, missions committee meeting, uh, discovery groups at Crocus at, uh, on the second floor, and then discovery group over at Oak View Terrace. Our focus uh, on the missions um, uh, this week is D and C. Um, as they have headed back to the mission field, and um, we can be praying also for the Jansen family. Uh, youth um, and young adults, breakfast and Bible study will be taking place on Saturday, February the 18th at 9.30 a.m. A location still has to be announced. Is, do you have a, a, a location yet? Okay, it's over at Myron Myron and Barb's place, so take special note of this. Uh, in the insert in your bulletin is called Friendship Banquet. If you would just pull that out, take a look at it. It's Monday, February the 27th at 6.30 p.m., $10 per person. It is a time of fellowship. We encourage you to bring a friend along with you, and it's important that you sign up ahead. We need to know how many people are coming, and out on the foyer, or on the, my left-hand side over here, um, they, you can register and put your name down, and you will have a place uh, on, on February the 27th. And then um, uh, persons with health needs um, still be praying for Mary Duick and John Suderman as they are looking for placements uh, with assisted living. And um, prayer requests, please pray for John and Marge Zachariah. Zacharias, John is scheduled for surgery this Wednesday, and Marge is still recovering from hers, so we can hold them up in prayer. Uh, note of thanks. We are thankful for the many prayers for Roxanne, our daughter, who had surgery on her tongue. She is home recovering with positive results that she will not need further treatments. The healing will take time. Again, thank you, and Elvin and Doreen Hillbrandt. They thank you very much for the prayers. Change of address, Dave Dick has moved back. Uh, he's here in Bueller Village, and he is in room 206. Make some time to pray for him and also to pay a visit, and it's good to have him back here. Uh, church membership, if you have been worshiping with us regularly and wish to transfer your membership to Winkler Mennonite, w Winkler Burktaller Mennonite Church, please call the church office or come and speak with either me, myself or Pastor Victor. And then, of course, being handed out um, this morning after the worship service uh, are the annual reports. Please take them home and read them so you can become, so you're prepared for the annual membership meeting. 
And then, of course, annual membership meeting to be held February the 21st at 7 p.m. Write that down on your calendars. However, before you can nominate a person at the meeting, you need to check with the person you are nominating whether he or she is okay with it. So if you're thinking of someone still that needs to be nominated um, for... Um, if you read the first part for the church executive or person and personnel committee, we make sure that you uh, talk with those individuals beforehand. And then baptism and receiving into membership will take place on March the 5th. Jay Fraze and Mackenzie Martins are requesting baptism. Pray for Jay and Mackenzie as they prepare for this important step of faith. At this time, I'm going to call the ushers forward for our morning tithes and offerings. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we worship and adore you, and we thank you for allowing us to worship here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for answering prayers. Many times we have prayed and we have asked you to do your will, and you have moved miraculously. We thank you for the men's prayer group that is meeting on Wednesday mornings. And yet, Lord, we know that there are still many men that we would love to have come and join us. And we know that when that you can draw them, we, we ask, Lord, that many men would take up the challenge. And we know that you will work through us as we pray. Lord, you make a difference in the same way when the ladies have been meeting on Tuesday and they have been praying. We know that you answer prayer. It's a time to seek your face and your will to be done. So we would ask that you encourage many, many other people, both men to come out on Wednesday and ladies to come out on Tuesday so they, they can pray, all of us can pray together. We thank you for DNC who have arrived safely back on the mission field. We thank you that as they minister, they'll be gone for three and a half months and then they will be coming back to Canada. But in the midterm, they will stop in Southern California where uh, D will graduate from Southern California Seminary. So we would ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. We ask, Lord, that as they serve you out in the field now, that as they face spiritual attacks from the enemy, that you would give them strength, you would lift them up, and that we would be praying for them here at home. We pray for grace for them to have pressure when the pressures come and patience when they come to dealing with others. We pray that you would give them faith so that they can see you work, and that as they plant the seeds and minister to the people there, as well as to those who are growing in maturity already, that these individuals who they are reaching will be also able to proclaim the gospel to others. We think of the Jansen family at this time. Lord, we realize they have suffered another loss in regards to the loss of the business. We ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. We know that within the last year and a half, it's been a tough go for all the whole Jansen family with the loss of Doug's death also, and then in Steinbach, um, they had lost their paint store due to fire, and it finally opened up, and we thank you for that. But we realize that they have had loss, and even with um, last fall with Menno going home to be with you. 
We pray, Father, that you would give them strength and courage as they go through these tough times. We know that you are Lord of all, and as they trust you, you will see them through. Lord, we thank you for the youth who have come, that come for breakfast and Bible studies on Saturday. We thank you that they can share their faith with one another, and also as they talk with one another, encourage one another, and look into your word, that you will build them up. So I pray, Father, that you would give them a time of fellowship, a time of growth within your word. And then, Lord, we think of those who have health and sickness problems. And it's because we live in a fallen world. We pray for Mary Duick and John Suderman as they wait for placement in assistant living. We ask, Lord, that you would give them courage. We pray that you would even touch them physically. We realize their health is not like it used to be. But, Lord, you can minister in a special way, and we would ask that. And then we pray for John and Marg, Marg Zacharias. We ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon him, especially as he is scheduled for surgery on Wednesday. We pray, Lord, that you would lift him up, that he would feel your presence each step of the way. We pray for Marge, too, as she is recovering from the surgery that she had. Lord, may your hand rest upon them as um, they need your touch. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each person who has come out to your service today. We pray that as we worship you, that our praise would uh, rise in adoration unto you, and it would be pleasing to you. Now, Lord, we give back to you the gifts that you have given to us, a small portion, um, because it is a reminder that it is all it comes from your hand. I pray now, Lord, that as we give to you, use us to further your kingdom, and may it encourage our hearts, because we can give back a small token for all that you have given us. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
The reading of our scripture passage this morning is found in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through to 28. I'm reading from the New King James Bible version, entitled, God's Wrath on Unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-winged footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of, for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Continuing in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May God bless the reading of his holy word to your heart. Good morning again. It's good to be with you. And it was good to be with uh, Blumenort Mennonite Church last week uh, with them at their family camp or their church camp. Uh, we had a really good time there and a bit of deep plowing as we tried to apply the Word of God to our lives. And the assignment that was given to me there was uh, put in the form of a question. What is God's design for male and female? 
and how should Christians interact with the current culture? And so I've, I've done some of this with you already. We already talked about the image of God in, in marriage, the image of God in the individual person, and those were part of the picture. I think if we want to understand how to live in this culture, we need to understand, first of all, what the design is, then we will be able to recognize where, the, where we are failing in, in living according to that design. Well, the assumption of those questions uh, that I was assigned with is that God's design has something to do with how Christians are to live in this culture. In other words, answering the design question should lead us to an answer about living with in our current culture. The fact that we ask those questions indicates a few things, possibly. <laughs> that there is some lack in our understanding about God's design, maybe we're not fully informed, or number two, that there's a problem in our current culture that we're not quite ready to deal with, and number three, we want to understand and pass on a biblical worldview to our children and grandchildren so that they will be able to flourish as God's people in this world. And likely, all three of those are true. So I've entitled this morning, What's the Problem? And uh, the hymns that I chose for this morning are a hint at what's the problem. So if you look over those hymns, it might uh, clue you in to where we're going to end up. <laughs> I asked the problem, sorry, I asked the question, what's the problem? Uh, to try to understand, uh, I think, the things that we, look, we, we see in our culture that we have a tough time dealing with things that are contrary to what we see in the scripture, things that have been contrary to the way we've been living. Uh, you know, all these things like sexual activity, sexual identity, uh, gender confusion, human rights, um, abortion, euthanasia, climate change, all these things. And why has our society, our culture, moved in, the, in that direction? Why is that? So again, what is the problem? And we could, we could start by listing off all the things that have impacted us, uh, that we have found out have impacted us in, in unhealthy ways. Um, is, it, is it feminism that has driven a wedge into the home, the church, and the workplace? Or maybe it's that divorce has become such an easy thing to do and is so widely practiced. Or that too many people shack up and don't get married is the problem that too many children are fatherless. Uh, too many are raised without both parents. Is the problem that contraception has isolated sex from the responsibility of raising children? We don't actually think about that one very much. Is the problem that abortion is legal and fervently promoted while crisis pregnancy centers are demonized? Is the problem that abortion is seen as a solution to unwanted pregnancy? Is the problem that the religion of gay pride is uh, fervently preached and forced upon us? Um, there was a room, there's been a rumor going around town 
that there's a, a pride parade happening in Winkler this summer. I even uh, helped to spread that a little bit, and then I figured, no, this isn't right. So I contacted City Hall, and I asked about that. And they said, uh, to this point in time, there has been no request or application for anything like that. So if you hear the rumor, uh, it's, it's, that is only a rumor. So I thought I'd set that straight. Is the fact that sexual freedom is demanded as a human right and promoted to our children a problem? Is that a problem? I just read an article in a magazine called First Things. The article is called Sexual Counter-Revolution, written by Scott Yenner. And he begins the article by saying that Planned Parenthood recently went to Stewart Middle School in Tacoma, Washington, and distributed flyers targeting 11-year-old children, informing them that they could have sex with anyone under the age of 13, and that their parents could not tell them to use birth control or get tested for diseases, for sexually transmitted diseases. It's a problem. <laughs> is that the problem? Or is, is it that pornography is way too easy to access and that too many people are caught up in it? Maybe the problem is the availability of sexually explicit material in public libraries that is targeted at our children. Is the problem that transgenderism is targeting and he being heavily promoted to our children? Maybe it all started with pushing God out of the classroom and the courtroom and the city hall. Is the problem that the church has become weak and spineless and cowardly, or worse yet, that the church is actually dividing over these issues? The church is losing its witness. We look around and there are so many things that present problems for healthy family life and the raising of children to become godly, responsible people. Well, let's see if the Word of God has something for us to tell us about this. And Romans, we've already heard a part of Romans. Romans is a letter about worship. And we are worshiping beings. Like it or not, that is what we are created to do, and that is exactly what we do. And when we do not worship God, we do not cease to worship. We simply worship whatever else captures our affections. I looked up the word worship in Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. It said that worship, as a verb, is to adore, to pay divine honors, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration to respect, to honor, and to treat with civil reverence. And number three, to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission as a lover. <laughs> worship is not only used of speaking of, of worship of our God, it's also used as a title. A, sim a title similar to your majesty, your grace, or your honor. Uh, your worship is a title given to mayors and other magistrates. But I was intrigued to find the word worship used in a wedding ceremony in the Church of England in their, common book of prayer, or their Book of Common Prayer, 1552 edition. 
<laughs> and there, in the wedding ceremony, there is a statement spoken of by the groom to the bride when he puts his ring, or puts the ring on her finger. And he says this, with this ring, I thee wed, with my body, I thee worship, and with all my worldly goods, I thee endow. So it's kind of fascinating to see the word worship here used by husbands as an inner posture, as an attitude and commitment to one's wife, right? Which respectable man uh, does not willingly give himself to his wife to have her, to provide, to shelter, to protect, and to love? So that is the word worship was used there to, ex to express that. Well, the Bible tells us that we are worshiping beings. And in Romans chapter 6, where Paul explains the believer's freedom from the power of sin, he says that people become slaves of the one they obey. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of, a one, of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to life. Sorry, to righteousness. If I obey God's commands, and I am, uh, then am I not his slave? If I give myself to him in obedience, and if I refuse God's command, am I not a slave to the one that I choose to obey instead, which is usually me? Either way, I'm a slave to the one I serve. The one I serve is the one I worship. Turn to Exodus Chapter 20, the Ten Commandments are there. And look at the first two of the Ten Commandments. Both of them make an assumption. And I wonder if you can see what it is. Verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And verse 4, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What is the assumption? The assumption is that we will worship someone or something. And God is telling us we need to worship him. If we don't worship the only true God, we will replace him with a false God. If we don't worship the creator, we will worship something created. We cannot abstain from worship. Isn't it interesting that when God creates something in his image, he created man in his image. And, but not for that image to be worshipped, but for that image to worship him, right? God created us in his image to worship him. When we create something in our image, what do we do? We end up falling down and worshipping the thing that we have created. It's a very interesting thing and kind of pathetic. We submit our soul to the work of our hands or the work of our minds. Look now at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Hebrew tradition, this passage of scripture is known as the Shema. Shema is, this, is the first Hebrew word in that passage, which simply means 
here. It was recited morning and evening in their daily prayers. And starting at verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. <clears throat> Everything in this passage points to our tendency to forget to love the Lord our God. This is no surprise to God, of course, and this is why we hear warnings throughout the law and the prophets about not doing it. From Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19, we read, And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. And this one, Deuteronomy 11, Verse 16. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Now for North American Christians, worshiping other gods doesn't usually look like it did in the ancient Near East. You might recall that little kerfuffle in Genesis 31 where Jacob is packing up his family in, in the land of his father-in-law Laban to move them all back to the land of Canaan. And in Genesis chapter 31 at verse 19, we read, Rachel stole her father's household gods. <laughs> Handheld, created idols that they worshiped. They worshiped them as gods. Although there is certainly an increase of pagan religions in North America, those kinds of false gods are typically not what we fall for. The kinds of idols for which we fall inhabit the affections of the heart. And how do we know when we have fallen for a false god? When we've been lured away from our first love. Some people have come up with questions that help us identify what those gods might be. And I think I've read this here before, but I'll read it again, because it's always a good thing to be wary of where are my affections turned. So let these questions scrutinize your affections, and maybe they are show, will show you something. What causes me most to fear or worry? What do I treasure most? That if taken from me would ruin everything. What is my source of comfort when I've had a hard day? How do I cope? What preoccupies me? What do I dream about? What gives me a sense of purpose, value, and identity? What makes me the happiest? What causes anger or indignation to rise up within me? What do I want to have more than anything else? 
For what do I make the biggest sacrifices? Whose approval am I seeking? If we're not worshiping God, the answers to those questions might point us to the true object of our worship. It could be a person, could be an activity, could be a feeling. The point I'm trying to make is that scripture is clear in its assumption that people are worshiping beings. We are always worshiping. Therefore, the command to worship the Lord our God is repeated often. Another thing the scripture tells us about worship is that we are created to worship God specifically and no other. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes to explore the meaning of life. And after his extensive pondering, he finally concluded in Ecclesiastes 12:13, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. What a beautifully simple conclusion to come to after pondering the meaning of life the way Solomon did. Isaiah also wrote that God and God alone is to be worshipped. He wrote, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. Isaiah 45, 22. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only God that exists. All other gods are false. So God is not, uh, sorry, God is the only God to be worshiped, but there is still the question of our purpose. If a man invents something, he knows exactly for what he has made it, right? People have invented all kinds of things to use in the workshop or the kitchen or who knows what. And unless you've been shown how to use it or what it's for, you don't know. And where do you go to find out? Well, you ask the one who made it. And so, similarly, God has made us for a purpose. He's created us with a mind, a free will, and an eternal spirit in his image. But he has nonetheless created us for his purposes not for ours. We cannot decide our own purpose. That is, a, that is determined by the one who creates. In 2 Timothy, Paul says that it is God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose. And uh, in 2, sorry, that's 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things out according to the counsel of his will. So God has a purpose in creating us. It is his purpose that we should bring him glory, that we should walk in obedience and that we should worship him, right? And if we're following him, if we're obeying his commands, we're worshiping him. After Judah was taken into exile uh, and punished for not worshiping God, God began to restore, right? He always punishes first, especially his own people, punishes them for their disobedience, and then he, begin, then he begins the restoration. 
As evil as Judah had become, his plan was to return his people to the land and restore proper worship. Ezekiel wrote, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. That's Ezekiel 36 at verse 24. This is the work of God in the world to restore worship. This is why we meet regularly for worship. This is why we share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus or people who have wandered away from the truth. This is why we must be diligent in teaching our children and grandchildren to worship Jesus Christ. This is why we have Sunday school and why we do Bible study. I said earlier that Romans is a book, sorry, maybe a letter about worship. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, and let's see what Romans has to say about worship. According to Romans 1, something has caused the downward spiral of human existence. We heard Romans 1 read for us earlier. What is the cause of our degradation? In verse 18, we read that unrighteousness, by unrighteousness, the truth is suppressed. So we practice unrighteousness, and the truth is suppressed. And verse 21 there, it says, refusal to honor God, refusal, refusal to thank God. These are problems. In verse 23, the exchange of the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and beast. We exchange the eternal for the temporary. Verse 25, the exchange of the truth about God for a lie. Also in verse 25, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And then in verse 28, the refusal to acknowledge God. What we have here is the utter collapse of rightful worship of the living God in our society. I attended a conference in Moscow, Idaho, a few years ago with a friend. And we heard a speaker there by the name of Peter Jones who suggested that Romans 1.25 offers us two worldviews and only two. All worldviews and religions fall into one of these two categories. And he argued that Christianity is the only worldview where God is truly worshipped. Either we worship God or we worship his creation. The mad rush to save the planet is a good example of the worship of creation.
If we are worshiping beings created to worship the only true God, then failure to do so must have consequences. It's not because we've hurt God's feelings. It's because worshiping God leads to life and worshiping anything else leads to death. Remember the warning? If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. It's not a threat. It's a warning. God says, or God is not saying, I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. That's not how he works. He is saying, if you walk away from me, there is nothing good waiting for you. All the worst things are in store for those who turn from the living God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 135 at verse 15. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Worship directed anywhere but to the living God is death because we become like the object we worship. Do you remember King Midas from Greek mythology? Do you remember how he was obsessed with gold and one day it was granted to him to be able to turn things into gold? And he would touch things and they would turn into gold. It was a delight to him until one day he touched his daughter and she turned to gold. And his food turned to gold. And suddenly, what he worshipped became a curse. Look at our society. Our society has walked away from God. We have stopped worshipping God. We stopped praying to him. We've stopped acknowledging him. And what do we have? Sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, rape, human trafficking, pervasive drug use, feminism, transgenderism, identity issues, mental instability, anxiety, broken families, abandoned children, abortion, euthanasia, suicide, other murders. We have rebellions and riots and demonstrations the destruction of our economy, the enslavement of billions, and tyrants who want to rule the world. (laughs) That's what you get. None of these things, however, are the problem. These are the consequences of the problem. As a society, we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator. That is the problem. As Paul explains, the consequences follow. I'm going to read again from uh, starting at chapter 4, and then, or, sorry, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 24, and read to the end of the chapter. Romans 1 at verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, but receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And verse uh, chapter 2 goes on to say, Therefore you have no excuse. Those are the consequences of a nation, a people, um, failing to worship God. Romans is a good book to study from the point of view of our failure to worship God and the case that God makes for us to return to worship. Romans is to us like a prophet, like the prophets of old were to ancient Israel. Romans 1 to 4 reveals the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man. Romans 5 to 8 discloses God's plan for a new people of God where righteousness is based on faith, not on obeying or having the law. Romans 9 to 11 unveils God's plan to incorporate God's people under the old covenant together with believing Gentiles into a new covenant, into one united people whose righteousness is based on faith. Paul's therefore in Romans 12 is the call to return to worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul calls on believers to worship God with their whole being, body, mind, and spirit. It's the same call to worship that Israel received from God before entering the Promised Land. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's been the same command all along. The animal sacrifices of the past provided a picture for the return to worship as Paul instructs according to the pattern of sacrifice set by Jesus. And what was the pattern that Jesus set? Total sacrifice. We do not come to the altar with a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. But now we are a living sacrifice. And what do living sacrifices look like? Looking at Romans 12 to 15, we see things like this. Acknowledging that we belong to a body of believers. 
exercising various gifts as God has assigned, loving our fellow believers, loving unbelievers who do not worship our God, subjection to governing authorities. We do no wrong to a neighbor. We make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We do not pass judgment on our brother. We do not cause a brother to stumble. This is worship. What do you think of when you think of worship? Is it singing, prayer, listening to the preached word? Is it the Sunday morning worship service? It is all those things and much, much more. Worship is more than an event. It is more than an activity or a ritual. Worship is our acknowledgement of God in everything we do. It includes our attitude, our way of thinking, the posture of our hearts towards God, the posture of our hearts toward each other. How do we regard each other? Worship is the way we live because we believe God. It must permeate every area of our lives, leaving nothing untouched. Because we were created to worship. Worship is life. Worship is our calling. Worship is the way we do everything. What's the problem? We as a nation, as a culture, have ceased to worship God. And what is God's purpose for us? That we worship him. So let's do. We who know God, we who know and believe God, let's continue to worship our God. And let's do it in everything we do. And let's invite others to do the same. And perhaps we can be the leaven that spreads throughout the lump of dough and brings other people into fellowship with our God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we recognize very easily that we don't always worship you. We are drawn by our, our affections and our fleshly desires to all kinds of other things. We also read in Romans that that is our constant battle. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us in this battle. We who worship here have made the commitment that we will follow you, that we will worship you, that we will do it together. And I pray, Father, that as we continue to practice these things and as we grow our understanding of worship and see how it impacts every area of our lives, I pray that you would be patient with us, but also strengthen us. Pour out your spirit on us and help us to grow in our resolve within ourselves to be your worshiping people. Hallowed be your name. Amen. So would you open your hymn books and let's turn to number seven. God himself is with us. The hymns I chose this morning were focused very much on worshiping God, praising him, exalting his name. And that's what we want to do more and more.
<laughs> Why don't we stand to sing? After verse 2, I'll say a benediction, and then we'll sing the third verse. Receive this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Bless you. Have a good day.